0: The theme for the afternoon talk is Reflection on Ultimate Truth. In the rhythm and flow of our day-to-day life, what we experience of course a great deal is a way of looking at the world which in Dharma language is called relative truth, relatively speaking. This will show itself in a variety of ways and perhaps the most simple and common way that this shows itself is that we place a great deal of misguided trust and confidence in what our senses, eyes, ears, nose, tongue and touch Reveal to us so that when you and I are seeing and hearing the world and looking out upon it there is a view that we're looking at the reality of things that what appears in our eye, that colour patch and the description which goes with it group of people sitting in a hall sky and earth and trees and the wind blowing outside is the reality similarly with the sounds that come to our ears whether it's listening to the speaker this afternoon the birds the passing of the traffic along the road through the forest we get so used to what we see hear, smell, taste and touch we impose upon it that this is the reality. And even when we're just giving it bare attention, even when we're just saying, oh look, I'm just sitting here, just listening to you talking, just aware of the presence of other people, the sounds outside, all of which we could all agree upon quite easily, It still gives some kind of communication or flavour. This is the reality. This is the truth of things. This is how things really are. It would be lovely enough if we could just stay at that level that there is just the seeing and just the hearing and just the smelling and this is life and it's going on from one moment to the next but we also have this remarkable capacity as human beings to even see more than that we'll project into what we see here smell taste touch into the past into the so-called future all manner of stuff so We assume the bare actuality is the truth but we feed into it even more and three of the major ways that we do that and each one of us has to give attention uh, to that One, we feed uh, into it, as we know, all manner of desire all manner of forms of projection which we invest in and we see more in something than that is actually there. And human beings, we have developed this remarkable capacity to look into things of life, grab hold of them, put all manner of significance upon them, and when you look at it or think about it, It's not compared with the number of items sight, sound, smells, taste, touch in the world compared to the number, the amount that we select out and attribute and place upon all sorts of projections is actually very very few. Loads of people come in and out of our life we don't have time to stop and project upon them. And there are a few poor devils upon whom we project all manner and attribute all manner of things to and then sometimes we go from the individual to the groups ethnic groups, national groups, groups of rich, groups of poor, young, old, fat, thin east, west, north, south and again lots of layers of views upon there so sometimes It's desire, whatever it might be. And we hope, foolishly again, that in getting what we want, this will make us truly happy. It's a lovely idea. And it's complete nonsense. What it does is we project whatever onto whoever, whatever, and all the desire that can go along, does go along with it and when we actually look at desire look at the force of wanting inside of ourself and all the projections approval, disapproval, likes and dislikes addictions and habits and all that which makes up desire that when we actually look at it and feel it and go into it, when we're really keen on getting something what we want, what we're really saying is, this desire has got so much pressure in it, I just want relief from it. So if I get what I want, the desire goes away and I feel relief. It's over. I've got what I want. I wanted this relationship, I wanted this job. I wanted this increase in salary. I uh, uh, wanted to find this particular uh, item. What was that word yesterday when we go to the uh, shopping mall? What's the German word? Kaufland. Kaufland. It means
1: <laughs>
0: buying land. Buying land. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fantastic term. I've never heard this, but buying land is Kaufland repeat this all over the planet, cow land, buying <laughs> land. So we, we go to buying land yeah. and we're looking around for what we want. And then we, we get it We say, wow, that's so great, that's so good, I've been looking for it for, for, for so long. And now I, I've finally found it, whatever it might be. And think, we think this is happiness. It's not, it's the end of the desire. Is that the desire has finally stopped. And this is what human beings are deeply interested in. We are interested in realising the end of desire. And we think of it as the end of the effort and the trying and the pressure to get what we want. The classic has to be the, the, the cigarette smoker. classic. How not to take it too personally if you smoke cigarettes? Actually, do take it personally. (laughs) (laughs) One has a packet of cigarettes, the cigarette, the box of matches there, and, and the environment where you can smoke. Hopefully this will get smaller and smaller on this planet and the uh, final place will be somewhere like the North Pole (laughs) smoking is banned from the rest of the world but you can go to the North Pole and light up so the cigarette itself can be in the mouth won't end the desire the box of matches can be there The, the match can be struck and held there, it can be even lighting the end of the cigarette, it won't make any difference to the desire. And then one draws in the smoke, and in the drawing in of the smoke, <sighs> cigarette one feels <sighs> what one has just come very temporarily to the end of the desire. I wanted a cigarette, it's over. Relaxation. This is called life. Impression, projection upon, the movement of wanting and desire and for the wanting and desire to be over with through getting what I want. I get a little temporary relief. The mind begins to form itself again. A new arising comes about. A new desire comes about, a new pursuit, and it can be wanting anything. Cigarette, profound spiritual experience, whatever. And our life then seems to move relatively everyday world in this movement of contact, feeling, desire, getting what we want not getting what we want giving rise to some other feelings and then a new movement and while all of this is going on with the passage of the years there's death oh dear oh dear why is death such a problem? CZ it's, it's going to interrupt the desire <laughs> There's no other worry about death, there's no other anxiety. It's just, oh hell, I haven't finished doing all the things I want to do. Death is going to cut off my desires. Death is only a worry for the desirers. It's only a problem for those who have desire. Desire to live, desire to have more. Desire to achieve more, desire to get more things done, desire to be somebody. Death is saying, oh dear, oh dear, sorry. And as the Buddhists say, King Yama, that's the personification of death, the lord of death, flies around the world. This is a picture, image story, flying around the world. And King Yama doesn't care about whether we're young or old, healthy or sick fat or thin what else tall or short white or brown rich or poor doesn't matter how young or how old it just travels around the world and then says today you're out it's over your day is finished and then it's finished and we just have to live with this It's more problematic in the force of desire. This living in this way, and as I remember years ago, one Californian psychiatrist described life as a sexually transmitted disease with a fatal diagnosis. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of hospital humour, I suppose. And so there is, there is this movement of life going on in which the wanting and the desiring plays an important part for us and lots of projections go on to ourselves and to others and thus we get caught up in conceit about ourselves, our self-importance. We get caught up in the desiring and the wanting and we equally... and under of course, will get caught up as well in a whole range of views and opinions so our life, which we call rather foolishly living in the real world seems to carry some moments which we're just connected with just seeing and hearing without any special projections upon some moments in which we're projecting upon some moments in which the projection upon is just feeding into more desire some moments in which there are, there's the conceits of the mind. One is called building ourselves up, that's conceited. Another is putting ourselves down, that's another conceit. Another is saying I'm equal to everybody, that's another conceit. Plus desires, plus views and opinions, and here we are as human beings Claiming to live in the real world and this in fact is just one unholy mess. And we call it reality. We call it the truth. We call it the way things are. (sighs) Wow. We are something as a species. Talk about being out of touch. We are over the top with it. And we've got so used to this construction, so used to the various stories which feed in and out of all of this, that it would seem that we find it hard to even have a real doubt about it. We've got the the conditioning of the mind for us has become so strong. Even our beloved scientists, who are not short of views and opinions, I might add Least they, using their thought and their mind have, to their credit, penetrated a little bit deeper to the surface appearances of what we see and hear They also can remind us too of the relativity of this world of seeing and hearing and the other senses our philosophers also, our psychotherapists, and our psychologists, all keep reminding us that our view on things is rather relative. And it isn't easy for us as men and women to keep some reflection alive, some question alive and say, hey maybe. A little doubt, a healthy one here, a little doubt to say maybe the reality which I perceive maybe is just conventional. It's just how I think it is. It's just how others think it is. Therefore, my eyes and my ears are not reliable to know what reality is. They are not the proper instrument, they are not the vehicle. And then the Buddha said, was asked once on this, he was asked. Well, if that's the case, then we should meditate. Meditate, closing out the sight, and we can do that very nicely. The eyelid just drops a centimetre. The world is blocked out. And maybe put some earplugs in our ears. And then maybe we'll get to what true reality is. And the Buddha commented on this closing out of eyes and ears. If that was the case, if the world of sights and sounds was a problem for us, better take the eyes out. If the world of sight is a problem, take the eyes out. If the world of sound is a problem, take the ear out. So the encouragement is to recognise sights and sounds are okay in the conventional world. What we see, what we hear, is a, the projections go on it. But give up all hope that My eyes and ears are going to tell me what reality is. What the ultimate truth is. The way things really are. Once I've got some sense of the limitation of these tiny and wonderful instruments, then where am I going to go? And if I'm not going to bring all my thought in, like the good scientist uses his thought, and uses it powerfully in some cases, I'm not going to bring in my thought, How am I going to find out, if there is such a thing as true reality? If there is such a thing as ultimate truth, if if there is such a thing which has got nothing to do with projections upon? In the, what shall we call it, spiritual world, I don't really like the word world, and I like even less the word spiritual, however. The self, the I, the I, the blessed I, the little terror, the I. Not this in here, the the I, the me, the self. It's in a very difficult position. Very, very difficult position. Because in the relationship to our life, our day-to-day life, the I, whether we like it or not, just keeps popping its head up with a view with a judgment with a mo- an emotion feeling angry with somebody with a, i want i must have the <coughs> eye keeps arising sometimes that feeling of i is relatively quiet. It's called deep sleep. (laughs) It's called meditating. It's called just spending some time in quietitude. The eye sometimes is very quiet. Sometimes it's incredibly agitated and noisy. I am thinking, thinking, thinking. I am emoting, emoting, emoting. I am daydreaming, daydreaming, daydreaming. So the eye sometimes is noisy and agitated. Sometimes it's quiet. Sometimes we are rather reflective. And when we're reflective, we might look at our life and say, My gosh. The scientists tell us that life started forming itself X number of million years ago. There has been countless movements in time in the uh, so-called evolution of life that we can't really know or see a beginning of it. We can speculate in some way. or We might have some measurement through mutation and through uh, genetic change and through rock formations, etc., etc., And here I am, living my life, and I might live till I'm 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 or 80 or 90 or 100, and I might remember those which we would have seen in the the Buddhist monasteries where you have some lovely paintings, artwork, and there you have the newborn baby, and then Another painting, in the same painting, of the child at 10 years of age, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100. We were just in uh, Jerusalem and for the Seder Passover meal. Very interesting, I have to say. And the grandmother there, she's a hundred, still very bright and and fresh and good-humoured and sexy, in a nice way. (laughs) And her daughter, who's pretty old, (laughs) said of her mother, The reason that she's lived so well and so long until she had her 100th birthday uh, this year because she's always been very positive always been very happy and she still is. Something about mind and body and heart and body. But even so, on Shlom Zion's room where Sonia and I stayed There's a picture of the grandmother, aged about 22 or 23. Lovely, bright, young woman. Tremendously long, flowing hair. I mean, this is in the 1920s, remember. Long, flowing hair, lovely and bright, etc., etc. Now she's a 100. She doesn't quite look like that, I have to say. Hair is white, she's thinning, she's a little smaller, etc, etc. So here we are in this long, long <laughs> field of time. It's still relative. And sometimes we look at our life and we think, God, we're hardly a blink in the lifespan of the earth. Not even a blink, a no. And We're in and out, etc. And here's this then sometimes we take a look at our life in the field of life and we and the self the i the me the my sometimes we feel quite humbled by it feel quite humbled by it my god life has been going on for millions of years i might get to 60 70 80 90 and i may not and it's such a short period of time gosh We feel humble, I feel so small, so limited, it's such a brief appearance, I feel so finite and so vulnerable, I'm just a little creature on the earth (coughs) who's making a great fuss about nothing. And, as I've commented a few times over the years, when we pass out of the world, What's if we have a gravestone in the cemetery, what's it going to be? The year of our birth, the year of our death, and in between there'll be a little line. And that little line is our life. It's not worth making a fuss about, is it? It's an extraordinary event. So sometimes the self, the I, feels uncomfortable with this everyday, relative, conventional Truth. God, I'm so limited, I'm so finite, I'm just in and out. And there might be a Buddhist or a Hindu and say, well, I'm in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out. <laughs> Whatever. You know, everybody to their view. But it doesn't seem satis- very fulfilling or satisfying whether I'm in and out once or I'm in and out endlessly. I'm still in and out. Yo-yo life. So then sometimes spiritual teachings from the East and other parts of the world will tell us you are not who you think you are. And so that's good news. Great. Thank you. I really appreciate being told this. So one reflects on this. I'm oh, not who I think I am. I'm am not this body. No, not who I think I am. I'm not my thoughts, these just thoughts come and go, and I'm not my uh, feelings, and I'm not my states of mind, and you're not who you think you are. Thank goodness for that. So I don't have to consider myself as some poor, finite, pathetic, little being who pops into life in the millions of years and pops out just like that. Good, I'm, I'm, I'm not this. And then the spiritual teachers and teachings will say, No, no. They'll say, You are pure awareness. How oh, brilliant! <laughs> <laughs> this is just great. So, I'm not what I see, hear, smell, taste, and touch. It's all changing. I am pure awareness. The eye has got to feel good about this. Brilliant. I'm not my thoughts, I'm not my states of mind, and <coughs> I'm not my body, I'm pure awareness. And the eye feels really, wow, well, feels a bit better about itself. And another person will come along and say, well, look, you're, um, what do I say, you're absolute being. Your being. Pure being, oh, that's better. Because this being is just f- <laughs> falling apart by the week. You know, you're pure being, unchanging. You're pure being, and the eye says, "Oh, God, great, thank you. I really feel better about myself. You I'm pure being. And this, you are the true reality. Oh, brilliant! Crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just. I thought I was just some conventional little thing living in this world whatever. You are that, I am that. Oh, great, but what's that? But anyway, <laughs> it sounds better than being who I am, So, t- etc. So sometimes the self, the I, it's we, I, me, us, are very much aware <coughs> of our limitedness so we can't it's hard to deal with just being finite and limited hard to deal with the fact that in a generation from now hardly anybody will remember us we just life will just go on as it did with us and it will go on just as well without us and it doesn't care it just comes and goes wow and even though we might want like to be remembered by somebody People are incredibly busy now to remember anybody. (laughs) What's it going to be like in 10 or 20 years' time? People not only today can't remember anybody else, they can't even remember themselves. Life is so busy, we don't have time for recollection. So Sometimes we say, gosh, my life is so small and so finite, I'm so vulnerable, I don't know what's going to happen so it's a the self the I then wants a kind of what you would call it spiritual message some kind of communication that we may not be who we th- usually think we are we are something bigger than that better than that whether it's, whether it's called pure consciousness or whether it's called you are the eternal now or whether, whether it's called you, uh, you are the truth or you are reality or whatever it might be, you, you are one with God, that's another popular one. It seems like the self just doesn't want to give up being in the picture. It just doesn't want to be, it wants to be somewhere. And if one's tired of being rather small and finite then let me go for jackpot win the cosmic lottery and be infinite and eternal. I'm not sure if the I in a claim of being infinite and eternal (coughs) is what ultimate truth is. That's all. I'm not sure if that's what is ultimate truth. Is it possible? It's a question. For the I, I, me, self, this little strange phenomena, I, I, me, me, my, my, common to us all, your feeling of I, that feeling of I, mm-hmm. is no different from your neighbours. It can't be. The feeling of I is is, is common. Is it possible to take an interest and engage in a reflection about what is truth, if there is, what is ultimate truth, if there is, what is the way things really are, If that can be discovered, without I entering into it. Not actually entering into it. And it isn't a matter of the I, the Self, whether it's the conceit of the true Self, or the conceit of the inferior Self, or the lower Self, or somewhere between. It's not a matter of trying to get rid of the self nor is it a matter of trying to get rid of sights and sounds What is the reflection in which the interest is not about what I see hear, smell, taste or touch the interest is not about who am I The reflection is in another way altogether. And that, shall we say, interest and um, passion and uh, exploration gives nowhere for the eye to land. Nothing whatsoever for the eye to claim. It's a conceit to say, I am a mortal self born in this world and will die. It's a conceit of the mind. It's equally a conceit to say I am immortal and I am deathless. It's a conceit. Giving or making no offer for the I perhaps gives us the opportunity to reflect, to meditate, to contemplate. May all beings see into things. May all beings inquire into the depths of things. May all beings engage in discovery.